Hello, this is Aaron Saft on the MR Running Pains podcast. With 30 years of running experience and 20 years of coaching, I thought it time to share with you things I've learned and people I've met so that you can try things for yourself and see if they help your running. Thanks for joining me. Wrote this song while crew and Aaron on a 100-mile foot race through the trails in the rain and mud. How about that? Today's guest, I uh, I really I have to say, uh, if there's a, a person that that shows tremendous courage and um, and just fortitude, uh, it's it's my guest today, Kyle Robido. Um, Kyle is a uh, visually impaired athlete uh, who lined up at Western States last year to um, to take it on. Um, Amazing, amazing story. Um, I've known Kyle for a few years. We've, we did the uh, trail running conference together out in uh, um, California was the first time I, I had met him. Um, and I, uh, I saw him again last year in Colorado. So um, I, I've had Kyle on my list of people to, uh, to interview. Uh, we talk about guiding and about Kyle's adventures and, um, you know, everything he's into and, and wants to do. So um, 
uh, you know, I, I really, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Um, you know, if you think about how you can help other athletes, especially, um, with guiding, um, you can reach out, um, to Kyle. Um, he's, he's really good, um, on his social media channels, uh, as well as, uh, through United in Stride. Um, so United in stride.com, I'll leave that in the show notes, um, is the organization that Kyle works with and for, and, uh, you can reach out through that organization to, to find athletes that you can help. Cause it's not only visually impaired athletes. There are athletes with disabilities that, that need help as well. Um, yeah, uh, United in stride works mostly with the, um, uh, the, um, you know, uh, visually impaired athletes, but, um, you know, look out there, see how you can help other athletes and, uh, um, and take part in, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a race it can just be in training, um, you know, helping them go off or run uh, you know, they need help there too. So, um, so thank you, Kyle, for, for coming on. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, we had a little bit of, uh, of internet trouble in the middle. So, uh, forgive, forgive my amateur, uh, editing, uh, but, uh, I'll splice it in there. And so if you hear a little gap and a little break in the action, uh, we just had a little drop in, uh, uh internet service. So, um, but anyhow, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Um, for myself, uh, the uh, you know, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to go for a run. <laughs> it's uh, July 22nd when I'm recording this. This podcast comes out July 23rd. I've had over two weeks off. I try to get a little run in, and my calf just wasn't having it yet. Um, I bought a tens unit T E N S. It's kind of does electrical stimulation. Um, and it's helped get the knots out of my calf. Uh, I was having a lot of trigger points in my calves and it's, it's, uh, helped smooth the muscle back out, um, due to my wife's, uh, uh recommendation. Uh, my wife again is a, is a doctor, a family doctor, and she suggested it and it's worked really well. I actually picked it up at CVS. Um, it's about 60 bucks, but, um, well worth the investment for uh, getting rid of trigger points and knots. Uh, seems to really be loosening up my calf. But I'm going to try to go for a run here after uh, I record this intro and get uh, the podcast loaded for for tomorrow's launch. And uh, super excited about that. Um, and uh, coaching. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, I, I've been uh, just doing introduction after introduction <laughs> into uh, into our our Facebook group. Um, you know, the, I, I'm really excited to have, uh, this many athletes on board. It's been a uh, tremendous, um, you know, uh, sharing so many journeys and, uh, and, and getting to, to be a part of so many, so many people's, um, uh, you know, training lives and, uh, getting to know so many other folks. Um, I am getting to capacity. <laughs> um, I, I don't have too many spots left. Uh, I'm going to sustain a, a, a certain load, that I think I can feel comfortable with and see how that goes and see if I want to pick up more than that or stay at that level. Um, you know, I'll, I'll keep you guys posted on the podcast if, uh, if, if, you know, um, you know, if, if I decide to take on more athletes, but as of right now, I do have a few spots left. Um, yeah, I haven't really counted. Um, I know I'm getting near it. I mean, we're, we're talking single digits as to how many spots I have left, um, you know, potentially under five spots left. So if you are interested, uh, or just want to hold the conversation, um, ask questions by all means, please feel free to reach out. Um, I'm, I'm totally happy to do so, uh, running pains at gmail.com is my email. You can uh, reach me through social media. Um, uh, my, I have, uh, my personal Facebook page, Aaron Saft or through, um, MR running pains coaching Facebook page. I'm also MR running pains on, uh, uh Instagram 
and uh, Aaron Saft on YouTube uh, posted a new um, strength training regimen um, two days a week. Videos on there go through the different exercises with you and kind of suggest uh, how many reps to start with. Um, but um, you know, take a look. Um, other than that, um, I'm, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to race this fall, you know, uh, given how my, my body's reacted, I'm kind of at a reset button here. I think I'm just going to create a huge aerobic base. I did sign up for the Cocodona 250 next year. So the 250 miler, I believe it goes from, um, Black Heron, Black Canyon, Arizona to, Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, really excited about that. Uh, really going to step outside my comfort zone. So um, I'll be talking about you know how training's going. Uh, but as I said, if you follow me on Strava, you're probably going to see me running pretty slow uh, and pretty short for a little while here, building back. Uh, I'm going to try to stay with a very low heart rate and just work in my aerobic zone and kind of get my uh, my base just a huge, huge aerobic base under me and. Uh, and, and work from there. So, um, like I said, you guys have questions or comments, please reach out. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the, uh, the podcast so you get it, uh, when it drops every Thursday morning, 6am. And, uh, if you would write a review for me, uh, leave a review on, uh, Apple, uh, iTunes, uh, that really helps, uh, others see it. If you would share it, that's fantastic. Uh, if you enjoy the episode, especially, uh, leave a comment and, uh, and share away. I, I sincerely appreciate your ears and thank you for your time. Guys, take care. Right on. All right. All right. So three devices later and a huge assist by my wife, and, and here we are. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, it's, it's great to see you, Kyle. Um, so uh, my guest today is uh, Kyle Robodeau. And uh, we are recording here on, what are we on, July uh, 20th. Wow, we're on July 20th. Um, How are you, buddy? I'm doing well, doing well. We are maintaining as a family, keeping our heads above water. Uh, How about yourself? Yeah, the same. Yeah, the same. My my wife, she goes out and works. And, uh, you know, I I work from home and and manage the kids. Um, What about you? We have both been working from home since mid-March, and my daughter was super engaged during online learning up until the end of June. And now we are balancing, you know, we did a short family vacation in Maine, and she's now on the Cape slash in Central Mass with my aunt. And she spent a couple of days with my mom just trying to, with no summer camps, trying to fill the void. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're going out to do some trail work tomorrow. Um, I'm taking the kids. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're, we're managing as well without camps. Uh, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, so, um, uh, man, it's good to, good to catch up. Um, uh, let's, uh, let's introduce you. So everybody knows who you are and, and what you're about. So, um, uh, just go ahead and start with the name and all that good stuff. And then we'll get into the, the goody stuff. Sure. I'm Kyle Robidoux. I live in Boston, Mass., I'm a trail runner, ultra runner, advocate, and spend as much time as I can outdoors with my family. <laughs> um, so uh, a lot of people may know Kyle. He's been on a number of podcasts. Um, Ky- uh, Kyle is a, um, a runner with um, limited vision, uh, should we say, um, visually impaired. Is that the, the best term to use? Yeah, or- I answer to anything. 
<laughs> Fair enough. Um, he uh, he got to line up at Western States last year, uh, and we'll we'll talk about that uh, a little bit. And uh, as long as Kyle is not still too, too scarred from the <laughs> the experience, um, I hope not. But um, let's talk about your story, Kyle. Um, for those that don't know you, um, uh, you know where did all this begin? Um, you know how did how did it come to this point? Sure. So I've been running for about 10 or 11 years and doing ultra and trail running for the past five or six. And about 12 years ago, I was probably just over 250 pounds and pretty sedentary and was motivated for a couple of reasons. One, to keep track of my daughter and keep up with her. And just for general health reasons, I started walking and then running. And I've done a whole bunch of marathons and ultra marathons. And as you mentioned, lined up for Western States. I've done a couple hundred milers. How many hundreds have you done? I think I've done three. Yeti down your way, the classic Vermont 100. And I did Ghost Train, which is a cool little small uh, 15-mile out and back in New Hampshire. Oh, right on. Very cool. Um, that's, that's, that's awesome. And, um, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk about guiding and all that, but, um, so you got into the sport, um, just kind of keep up with your daughter and, and kind of change health habits and stuff. Um, you know, and how has it been like when you first started, uh, you know, was it as ex- accessible as it is today, uh, to, uh, to be able to go to events, have a guide, um, or was it a little bit, um, more challenging? I think accessibility is an interesting term. I mean, it for me, it correlates with awareness as well. So when I first started running, I ran on my own. My vision was, you know, I have uh, eye disease called retinitis pigmentosa, so it gets worse over time. So when I first started running, I was running on my own. I certainly fell a lot and fell in races, but I didn't know about this amazing community of sighted guides here in Boston or even throughout the country. And it wasn't until I started working where I work now, which is the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired, when I mentioned that I fell in a marathon, my coworker said, have you thought about running with sighted guides? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, I'd seen them out skiing, but I didn't know that they were part of running as well. So I feel like when we talk about accessibility, it's, it's information and awareness and getting that information in people's hands so they know what the resources and opportunities are for them. Right on. And that's, you know, that's fantastic that, uh, you know, we have those opportunities now and uh, you're making people aware of it as well, because you're, you're working with um, one of the guided services, are you not? I do. So part of my day job includes working with United in Stride, which is a website. It's almost like a dating service for runners who are blind or visually impaired incited guides. So it matches runners who are blind with guides or guides who want to who want to run with someone who's blind or visually impaired. So it's this whole website, you create a profile and then you can connect with them. So I spend about 20% of my day job kind of directing United in Stride, which is a resource for all of North America. So throughout the US and Canada. So it's a nice way to, you know, on a selfish level, it's a nice way for me to get connected to guides and train guides here in Boston and other places, but it's also a way for me to give back to the community 
in building more awareness, recruiting more guides, and in making sure that folks have the supports that they need to get outside and be active. Right on. Uh, and that's unitedinstride.org or? Uh, unitedinstride.com. Dot com. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll put that in the, the show notes uh, so people can awesome. check that out. Um, excellent. Um, so uh, you kind of talked about how you knew it was in skiing. Um, so United in Stride, is it completely for runners or is it for, for other sports as well? It was created to support folks who are both walking and running of all abilities, distances, and levels. There are now drop-down menus for people to select if they run, cycle, kayak, and I think hike. But it's very decentralized. So we tell folks, if you create a profile and reach out to someone, feel free to ask them, do you do XYZ sport? And if they do, then that's perfect. Connect with them. Nice. Right on. Um, and, um, so, you know, we, we talk about the guides, um, what would, um, I guess it depends on the level of comfort, somebody, uh, you know, that that's out there for a guiding service, but, you know, so, I mean, take your hundred miles, for example, I know, um, Vermont, Amy Rosecki started you out right as, as a guide. She did. She ran the first 10 or 15 miles with me, which is awesome. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The RD running with you for the first 10 to 15 miles, which I'm I'm sure is pretty awesome experience for, for an RD. Um, so, you know, from that point on, um, did you have like a rotation of guides coming in? I did. So I had, I think at the beginning of the day, five guides and two pacers, actually Maggie Guterol, also from the beast coast now out in Colorado was my second guide. And then I had three, actually Elaine Acosta from New Jersey drove up to help me out. And then I had two local guides here from the Boston area who helped me out. And then two pacers for those last 30 miles as well as a sighted guide. Cool. Um, talk about what a guide does, you know, when you're, when you're running, you know, how, how do they guide you? What do they, what exactly do they do? Um, you know, let, first start with just like your basic, if you were just going to do like a 5k, what would a guide, what, what service would they provide to you? So 5k on the roads, we would run side by side, most likely. And we would be either connected with a tether, which could be just a shoelace or any rope with a loop at the end. And their goal really is to be my eyes and tell me when I need to move to the left or right when I need to step over something like a pothole or a manhole cover, or I'll see in a race, you wouldn't necessarily jump up or off of a sidewalk, but you know, during training runs, that's what it is. And then a big piece is helping me manage water stations or aid stations. So getting into a crowded aid station, and then most importantly, getting out of it as well. And that was the big thing when I was running marathons on my own, I would always get in trouble cutting into the aid stations because the way my vision works, it's, I don't have any peripheral vision. So I often bump into or trip runners in front of me, behind me. Uh, so guides really help with those facets of, of running a 5k race. Do you have anything that um, calls you out as, you know, a, a guided runner? Do you have a vest or anything that you typically wear? Yeah. So I, depending on the day and my, attitude and my mood you know sometimes i wish i could just be anonymous and be out on the trail running without this big huge blind bib on me but 
Um, especially for road races, uh, I wear a blind bib on the front and the back. If I'm in a funky mood, I may just put it on the back of me and the guide will do the same. And the back is important because what often happens is, especially say in the Boston Marathon where it's super tight and if you pass someone, it's never a perfect pass, right? You're sometimes going to brush shoulders or hit elbows and folks admittedly and rightfully so will have some feelings be like, Oh, what's going on. But when we pass them, they know, then they'll see the bib and be like, Oh, it's a runner who's blind or visually impaired. And the same thing on the trails, if I'm hiking or running on single track and someone comes up from behind me, they'll know right away that, oh, this guy's blind. Let's give him a minute or two to figure out where to pull over. So it's really helpful. And the guide will either wear like a Velcro vest during races or training runs and then a guide bib as well. And it's the guide bib is also helpful for aid stations because when we're coming into an aid station, whether it's a trail race or a road race, the volunteers will kind of be cued by that bib and ideally give me some support so my guide can take care of themselves. Nice. Do you guys have any practice prior? In an ideal world, yes. Doesn't always help or doesn't always work out. So we recommend that folks, you know, get in a couple of training runs as much as possible, connect over the phone, talk about what your goals are, what level of support you need. So in addition to guiding, do you need support going into aid stations? Do you need a guide to help you with your pace or stay on pace? Not necessarily from a coach, a motivation standpoint, just from an information standpoint. So do you, um, can you, like myself, depending on the day, I can sometimes see my watch. So I can kind of keep track of my pace. So that's really important information and conversations to have. But you know, I also don't have a ton of money where I can fly with five guides across the country. So actually, when I ran the Yeti 100, all five of my guides, I had five guides. One had guided on the roads in Philly with uh, Philly uh, Achilles International in Philly, but had never guided in the trail. And the other four guides were brand spanking new, never guided before. Gotcha. gotcha. What, what kind of training did the guides receive, if any? We talked on the phone a couple times, and I told them the style I run, talked to about kind of I'll run right behind you, what to call out. I have a, an amazing guide here in Boston, probably the person who I've logged the most road and trail miles with. So she's created this little secret document that it's like guiding Kyle, the, the ins and outs, and how, to, how to deal with his personality. I know she has some things in there about me being cranky and and dragging my feet toward the end, but she sends them that document. And then on United in Stride on the homepage, there is a five or six minute guide training tutorial video uh, specific to guiding on the roads. So I'll try to have folks, even if I'm trail running where I run behind them, I'll still ask or encourage guides to check out that video as well. But for Yeti, it was all done over the phone. Okay, gotcha. Um, uh, and so, um, let's see here. Um, if someone, let's say they, they want to help, um, but they're not comfortable with guiding, are there other ways that, you know, people can, can help, um, contribute to a person's, you know, success at an event? Certainly. And I think there's 
especially for me, like traveling to races or anyone who's traveling to a race, there's help around airport pickups and transportation to and from the race. You know, I was supposed to run Umstead 100 this past spring and there was an amazing woman, Sarah, down in your neck of the woods or in North Carolina. And she had volunteered to pick me up and drive me to the airports and get me to the start line. She was actually putting me up in her house, which was awesome. So there, and then crewing as well. So being a crew member, especially again, if someone's traveling to a race and doesn't have a local network, mm-hmm. being a crew member is is huge as well. And that was all done through United right? A little bit through United in Stride, a lot through personal connections. Actually, the woman in North Carolina, Sarah Ruff, I met her, she'd guided before, and I met I did the Hood to Coast race with her out in Portland as part of a United in Stride team and of all runners who are blind or visually impaired. And she guided. So we got started talking and she said she lived in North Carolina. And I was like, oh, Umstead is on my radar. So when I got in, I I reached out to her through United in Stride and we connected. Right on. How did it go down when, when they told you Umstead was canceled? How did you feel? Were you okay? I certainly understood and agreed with the decision. I actually found out about it about five minutes after I came back from my last 30 mile run and I came in, sat down and I opened up my email and I saw it and I was like, Oh, not surprised. Uh, and then I had another 25 miler on the calendar for the next day and actually still went out and did it just to kind of close that week out a little bit. But you know, it's like everyone's experiencing races right now. It's certainly a bummer and you put so much time into training, but I also think it puts life into perspective. And for as much as we love racing and love doing ultras and love this running community, there are so many things in life that are more important than racing or just as important as racing, especially when you start talking about, you know, the Corona and COVID and the race relations in our country and how that impacts our community and our family is, you know, put, puts a lot of it in perspective. Totally. Absolutely. What are you doing uh, in place of all of that? I saw that you were supposed to run uh, Vermont this past weekend, right? The uh, Vermont. Yes. Weekend. Yeah. So Vermont was this past weekend and that was my first race that was canceled that I kind of mailed in doing something big on that day. So part of, the situation with COVID-19 is that due to social distancing, I made the choice in mid to late March to no longer run with sighted guides. So for me, that meant running either on the treadmill or because I do have some usable vision, I can run on the track right by my house most of the time. Although with gym closures, there's now a ton of people on the track, which so I've had to leave the track sometimes because it's too busy and I'm too worried about running into someone. So for Umstead, I did 40 miles on the track the day of the Umstead. And then Boston Marathon, I actually did the marathon distance remotely. Uh, I ran on my track with one of my guides was in Michigan. So we FaceTimed before and we both ran it. We also finished within four minutes of each other, which was fun. And I actually signed up for a couple of virtual races, including the uh, east versus west coast so I did my 50k on the track and I did a run across mass which Amy Rusecki from Vermont 100 was part of and I didn't think I would get into vir- virtual races but 
they held me accountable and they kept me motivated to to get outside, which was great. And then I'm also part of, I run with Athletic Brewing Company, which is a non-alcoholic beer. And they actually were kind enough to sponsor me for from April 20th to June 20th. For every mile I ran, they donated a dollar to Vermont Adaptive Ski and Sport, which I ski with. And the Vermont 100 actually benefits. So for those two months, I was incredibly motivated to go out and run. You know, even if it was a five mile run, I was like, oh, that's still five bucks, you know? Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. How about yourself? What have you been doing? I just sustained an injury. Um, Okay. Yeah. um, Sucks getting old. (laughs) Um, So I'm I'm on the rebound. Um, You know, wife being a doctor, she – she suggested I, I try getting a tens unit and do a little bit of electrical stimulation because uh, I was getting knots in my calf, and every time I ran, it would knot up in a different spot, and uh, it would just you know I'd, I'd seize up in essence, you know I, I just couldn't move, and so uh, we tried that, and it's it's been working, um, real positive. I'm gonna after we're done here, I'm gonna jump on it, and uh, you know hopefully I'll start running again, you know probably midweek this week, but it's been been about uh, been about three weeks. Um, for me, which is good, a little bit of time off. Um, yeah. crazy, you know, I want to be out there running, but, um, yeah. uh, so, um, you know, I, I, I was going to go after, um, an FKT locally, uh, and that's, that's when I got injured. Um, you know, and then I was supposed to come up to New Hampshire and do Ragged Mountain. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, yeah. and that the 50 K was canceled. They're going to do the stage race, but, um, I'm not, yeah. I'm not up for any at the moment anyway. So, um, so I, I signed up for the Cocodona 250 for next year. Uh, um, right. Very exciting. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm going to do a big run here in the mountains, uh, this fall. That's my goal because everything's probably going to be canceled. <laughs> yeah. So what's the closest mountain range to you or mountain? Oh, so I, I live literally along the, uh, uh, you know, the range here. It's like, you know, about like seven miles and I'm up on the ridge. <laughs> so oh, nice. I, yeah. And that runs all the way over to Mitchell. Um, so, I mean, I've got the, you know, I've got the blacks and then I've got, uh, you know, all the way over, uh, to the crest trail where they run quest for the crest and all that good stuff. So, um, wow. yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got plenty of mountains in my backyard. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for it. So, uh, you know, fun fall I plan, hopefully stay healthy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and, you have those resources. We're going to do a virtual race as a family. Um, the kids are going to do, uh, we're going to do a 5k together. So we're, nice. we're gonna, yeah. So it'll be fun. Yeah. My, my daughter is nine and my son's 13 and you know, my goal is to stay ahead of my son. <laughs> He's fast. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, from his genes, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, somebody said uh, he's got his mom's genes. <laughs> nice. So uh, that's cool. Um, so tell me about what's, uh, what's the, the best guide you've ever had? What's, what have they done that has made them like, you know, a great guide? You know, let's talk about just a, like in a trail race because you've been doing a lot of the trail events. Yeah. I mean, all my guides, honestly, I can say this with the utmost confidence. They've all been amazing. And whether it's guiding me for a mile or guiding me for 30 miles, I think what makes a good guide, particularly on trails, is that I'll see they're fit so they can hang for 20 to 25 miles, which for me, based on the terrain, that could take five hours or it could take, you know, nine hours. So I think also just being mentally strong and having good communication, being able to talk loudly, being able to sustain talking loudly for a long period of time is really helpful. And 
being able to adjust and adapt based on what my needs are, which are often predicated on the terrain of the trail. So being able to learn quickly what I can run through based on the technicality of the train and what I may need to walk or slow down or hike up or down. So I think communication, you know, reliability, just when you say you're going to guide me, ideally you'll be at the race to guide me, but race day communication, fitness. And although I struggle sometimes with knowing that guides, like I have built in pacers in a sense, right? Cause I'm always with someone which has its pros and cons, but you know, someone that, is patient with my ups and downs, especially at the end of a race. And it's not a secret that for many, many years I finished, I called her my closer. I tended to have the same guide for the last 20 miles of every ultra I did because she's the one I felt most comfortable with, you know, when I hit those low points and I became a little cranky. (laughs) (laughs) My wife would probably say I'm cranky all the time when she guides me, but for most ultras, it's usually just the past, you know, the last 20 to 30 miles. I I find, you know, uh, running to be quite meditative and contemplative. You know, I I can easily lose myself in space in in what I'm running. Do you find you have to kind of remind people of the task that's at hand? (laughs) Do you have to kind of bump them and say, hey, (laughs) I haven't heard from you in a while? Um, yeah, there are certainly times, you know, most guides, I think to volunteer to guide takes a certain personality. And I feel like that personality fits the task that they're doing. I've also, from a very pragmatic standpoint, I found that hikers make great guides. Obviously, you got to be able to trail run, but you know, hiking is all about finding the path of least resistance. So hikers are really good about figuring out where on the trail I should move to. And I also try to build in some breaks and my favorite, you know, my, I have all these guiding calls, right? Go left, go right, step up, big, you know, big rock, big root. My favorite call is smooth sailing, which means that I can just drag my feet, but it's also a time where the guide can collect themselves a little bit and take a break from talking. I had a guide who, one of my best friends never had run more than I think 20 miles at the time. He volunteered to guide me for all six stages of the Trans Rockies stage race. So it's 120 miles through Trans Rockies. And dynamic hiker, tremendous experience in the backcountry, and took on this huge task along with his wife. They both kind of guided me and teamed up. But on the second day, we were having some beers afterwards in Chillville. And he's like, I, I, I got to go. And I'm like, hey, everything all right? Like it's eight o'clock. You know, we usually party. And he's like, I just can't talk anymore. I don't want to be around people because he'd already spent, you know, like 13 hours on the trail in two days, literally talking the entire time, especially coming off of like the backside of Hope Pass on the Leadville course. So it, it takes a lot. I often say mentally guiding is just as difficult as it is for physically for me to run it. Where does a guide, you talked about on the roads, they're typically on your side. Where does a trail guide go? So it's interesting for me up until now, I have always run behind my guide on the trails. And so when they call things out, so if you're guiding in the roads, if there's a manhole cover coming, the guide will usually say manhole cover, three, two, one, step. And at one, I jump over the manhole cover or the pothole or the whatever it is. 
for trail running because I'm behind them untethered. They'll call out big rock. And I hope that I'll hit that big rock in two steps. So I usually take one stride and then step over it. At night, I've started to use a just like a rigid tether. It's, on, it's a, just a fabricated trekking pole. So I run behind them, but I hold on to the trekking pole to kind of stay behind them in a sense. Uh, however, I've been doing a lot of hiking in the past couple of weeks with my wife as a guide up in the White Mountains. And I've certainly noticed a you know, pretty significant decrease in my vision where I'm starting to be probably more comfortable running next to someone, even on the trails just because the ability to stay right behind uh, or see to stay right behind my guide is becoming a lot more challenging for me, which then presents a lot of challenges for the guide. You probably know, uh, actually, Eric Strong down in North Carolina, Charlotte, he ran Vermont 100 with, uh, what's his guide's name? Uh, He actually works at an ultra running store in North Carolina, pretty prolific ultra runner, big guy, big long, uh, Anthony I don't know, but anyways, but they ran side by side. So on single track, the guide was like jumping over bushes and bushwhacking while the runner was staying on the single track because Eric has pretty much no vision. So they had to run side by side and he just holds on to his, um, his wrist. Jonathan Friardi was the guy. Yeah. Does, does lighting help your circumstances at all? For me, it does as someone who has usable vision. You know, my vision right now is about three to 4% field of vision. So lighting helps. However, it also can be tricky coming in and out of shade or sunlight. It takes my eyes longer to transition. And then I have absolutely no part of my eye disease. I have I've really never had any night vision or vision in dimly lit areas. So uh, I'm usually the first one to put on a headlamp or tell my guides to put on a headlamp so then I can follow them. Do you use a waist lamp as well? I I haven't just because the headlamp really doesn't help me. The headlamp, if I wear a headlamp, the purpose is to flash it on the back of my guide so then okay. I follow them that way. I don't use the headlamp to actually see what's on the terrain. Understood. Got it. Got it. Right on. Um We'll talk about, um, you know, Western States, um, you know, you, you've, <laughs> you get out there, right. Um, the, uh, you, you have a few sponsors too. Is that correct? Besides the, the beer company, are you still with, uh, Topo? I do, yeah. So I'm super, super lucky to run with, uh, Topo athletic and squirrel nut butter and ultimate direction. And then the past year or two, I've started to work with cliff bar which is how I gained entry into Western states. Right. So talk about that for a second. Let's just go off on, on topic for or off topic for a second and talk about, um, because, you know, when I saw you out there, you you were setting up at the cliff tent. Um, how did you feel? Does that, was that a distraction to you or did you feel okay with that? You know, what, what did that feel like? That's a good question. I mean, so many emotions go through my head. I mean, one, I was like, I was joking with folks that I was the JV team and the varsity team was Scott Jerk. Like no one was in line wanting to meet me. They were all meeting Scott. And because Scott is such a great guy and been so supportive of our community as a sighted guide, I mean, he'd be like, hey, meet my friend Kyle. He's running 
Western States tomorrow, you know? Um, but it was interesting. In hindsight, I had a couple friends actually from Maine who were also in the race or supporting family members there who I saw on Friday and throughout the weekend. And after the race, they messaged me and were pretty honest and said, hey, man, just checking in. And just so you know, like he and his wife, he's like, we both felt that you looked just dog tired on Friday. Never mind mm-hmm. race day. So I think... You know, even for someone like me, I had some response and I felt the responsibility to, you know, give back to Cliff because of this amazing opportunity. But I also felt that, you know, I could, I learned a lot. I was the one kind of coordinating all of my guides, all of their transportation, all of their assignments and the crew. I mean, I had crew, but I was doing all the logistics of that. And I think in hindsight, you know, I was doing that up until the night before. Uh, and that certainly, that was a lot of work. You know, when you have five guides, two crew members, two pacers, and a family who were all coming out there. And, you know, I was, like I said, I was arranging volunteers to pick them up at the airport and get them to our house. And I had all the plans and the charts and the, my split. So in hindsight, it would have been great to actually have like a crew chief or a volunteer coordinator to handle all that. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I would agree. I, would agree. I, I felt I bad. bad. Sorry for the feedback. Here. Um, seeing you at the tent, like I, you know, I, I wanted you to be able to enjoy your experience and, you know, and, and focus on your event. Uh, you know, when I went up to UTMB, it was the same thing. You see these athletes that, you know, that, you know, due to, they feel they have to be there for, for their sponsors and give back, which rightly so. But like, how much does that take away from, you know, their preparation and, and, you know, being able to relax? Um, you know, I, I hope you get the opportunity again, um, that, you know, that's, uh, it was, it was a tough year, obviously, if you want to talk about that, it was a tough year for you to, to be able to get up to the, the you know, the crest there and, and get across. Um, you want to touch on that and how that went? You sure. So yeah, no, I'm happy to. Yeah. I had a, you know, 15 and a half mile training run that day is essentially what it came out to. But, you know, I'll say I've, you know, it's been just over a year now and I feel like I prepared for physically, mentally, and the snow actually going up squat was perfect. You know, the footing. So for me, it's less the snow and it's more the terrain and the way that the snow lies. So hiking up, you know, although most of it was on dirt path, there were some sections that were on the ski trail, which was funny because, you know, as someone who grew up skiing, I was like hiking on corduroy. I was like, whoa, I've never like gone uphill on corduroy before. But that was fine because the the trail was kind of flat and level, right? Mm-hmm. And then when we hit the ridge and crested the escarpment and hit the ridge coming down and then across, that's when, you know, just the, it was so uneven. It was almost like, capped in a sense that I had one foot kind of on this ridge of snow and then my left or my right foot just kept on sliding out because I couldn't follow exactly where that really small ridge line was and then as you know I came through after probably 350 runners you know I crested the escarpment right probably about two-thirds of the pack which was dead on where I wanted to be um, in terms of just preserving energy going up and just casually um you know, meeting my goals, hitting the top, but then everyone just passed me. So the combination of the snow off camber, 
and all these big, huge divots that from all the other runners, I was just slip sliding all over the place. I fell, I can't even tell you, probably 15 to 20 times, um, a bunch on my butt, a couple times in my face. I actually think I have like a issue with my, I don't know what you call it now, your butt or my tailbone. Um, a year later, I still have a lot of pains when I've been sitting for a while, which it's got to be from that. I slid into a tree well. If you ever try to dig yourself out of a tree well in snow, it was I, my guide had to like reach down and pull me out of this like three foot tree well. Um, so yeah, so long story short, I made it through the first aid station just because you're in the middle of nowhere. They're like, keep on running, don't drop here. Uh, but I knew at about mile eight, the sweepers came through the woods, and Tim Tweetmeyer was one of them, and I knew that. I wasn't going to make the cutoff. So I ran as hard as I could, which was my goal and my commitment to myself. We ran all the way to mile 15 and a half. Tim actually joked afterwards. He's like, wow, you're moving really great at the end. It's like, yeah, there's no snow, man. But you know, my guide, just an unbelievable job that he did. Again, he's the same one I did trans Rockies with and the one I trusted the most to get me up and through that. And he did a fantastic job and, with some really difficult circumstances. Um, you know, that said, I do often say that there is a little bit of fitness there. Like I, I have a lot of core and a lot of balance issues I could work on and definitely improve. And I'm more than confident that there's a handful of runners who are blind or visually impaired who could have crushed that course that day and any other day moving forward. Cause you were the first one. The first known runner who's blind or visually impaired to, to toe the line. Yeah. Uh, did they afford you uh, poles or no? They did not. I did. Uh, so Western States, they don't allow poles, nor do they allow uh, spikes or anything on your footing. I had made an agreement that my, actually my, uh, the rigid tether I use is essentially a, a, a pole, which I was going to pick up at night. So I told them, I asked them if they would allow me to do that. And I promised that I wouldn't use it in a traditional trekking fashion. What I didn't know was that I think it was actually Eliza Lapierre had a pair of shoes um, from her shoe sponsor where, so that the, the shoe tread issue is that you can't put spikes on your feet, like yak tracks or whatever. But if your shoes are manufactured, with traction those are legit so she actually had a pair someone told me afterwards like oh you should check out the pair of shoes that eliza had she had spikes that were actually part of the shoe yeah i think yeah so i was like oh that's that's good to know um and quite honestly and i'm happy to like talk through my emotions but i struggled with do i ask for an accommodation around trekking poles or traction and Part of me is I want, you know, to start and finish a race just like everyone else with the same, you know, gear and the same kind of methods to complete it. Uh, And yeah, would traction have helped me? Most definitely. But would I have, let's say I finished the race with traction, would would I felt the same around it? Probably not. Sure. Well, like you said, the, you know, um, when, you know, with the, the race tells you to do something, I mean, it's just like UTMB, you know, we go back to UTMB. Um, if you break a pole, you have to carry the pole no matter what you're not allowed to switch out. Like, you know, so if you had a fresh pair, like 
you're supposed to just carry your broken one. <laughs> so oh, wow. I broke late in the race uh, and yeah. it was the most technical section. And when I was the most tired, obviously, and I needed it the most and it snapped uh, under my own weight, it's flipped into a rock and I fell, you know, over the, the pole and it snapped uh, my chest <laughs> went right into the pole and it snapped and I pulled it up knowing exactly what just happened. And I could feel my heart just sink because <laughs> I was like, ah, this is the stretch. I needed it, you know, and all I could do was fold it up and put it in my pack. Um, you know, but it's, you, I, I understand what you're saying is you want to follow the rules and, and not just like, you know, toss it off to the side or, you know, be done with it. You want to be just like all the other runners and, and not, you know, not have anything that none of the other runners have advantage of. Um, mm-hmm. um yeah, interestingly yeah. enough, I was talking with, you know, I, I call it the ride of shame, you know, it was like a, I dropped that, I think it's red star at 15 and a half. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a solid two to two and a half hour ride just off of the dirt roads from there. So Tim Tweetmeyer and his son was there and another Western States board member. And I honestly can't remember which of the two policies that came really close on the board to passing. I don't remember if it was the spikes or the poles. But, you know, we did have that conversation and they even said to me, like, did you think about asking? And the race, the race had already been, you know, Craig Thornley and the race folks have been incredibly supportive from me teeing up guides and getting folks on and off the course. They essentially permitted or allowed, you know, two crew cars because, you know, I got to get one car to get my guides to the aid station that I'm meeting them. But then you got to get guides back to, you know, some other place, you know. So uh, Craig in, in Western States was really, really supportive of, uh, of this effort, which I greatly appreciate and hope it paved the way for, you know, number of other runners. I think there are three runners who are blind or visually impaired, not myself, but three who were in the lottery this year. So I'm hoping that in the next couple of years, we'll not only get someone to start, but finish that darn thing. That's cool. That is cool. Um, what's, uh, what other, uh, you know, races are on your, your horizon? What, what do you want to do? What are some of your goals? Yeah, so I have always wanted to run in the Marin Headlands out in San Francisco. So I was actually signed up for a Miwok this this past May. Uh, one benefit from dropping out of Western States is that I got to meet the race director, Tia Boddington, uh, on the track later in the day. So she invited me to go out there and run that. So I'd love to r- run in the Headlands. Uh, I'd love to get back to Colorado. I, I'll see the Trans Rockies race was great, but there's, you know, the San Juans. I'd love to to get back out there i'm also toying with a you know a road ultra i've never done i don't think i've done like a straight up road ultra so something like Badwater is really appealing to me where you know the terrain is completely manageable but it's just the elements and the distance so starting to think a little bit more about uh bad water or longer race keys 100 something like that and much like you, I've been starting to think about the 200-mile distance, which four years ago I said I would never do. I had no interest in doing it, but it started to pique my interest a little bit. So we'll, we'll see cool. about that too. That's cool. Uh, that's cool. Anyone that you have your eye on for the 200s? Or? No, I just started doing some research. I mean, again, not, I don't think cherry pick is the right word because it's still a 200-miler, but 
I do want to do some research around out of the 200s, which one has, quote unquote, the most runnable terrain. So I actually have a friend who lives in Arizona who is swearing that the, the Coconono 200 is, is pretty doable in terms of terrain. Um, so, has anybody ever lied to you like that? <laughs> what's that? Has, it, has anybody ever lied to you about those kind of courses? <laughs> no, that's funny. I don't think it's an issue of lying. I just think it all comes down to perspective, man. I actually, it's a funny, you know, I ran, when I did Trans Rockies, I had a great opportunity to meet Rob Carr and chat with him for a little bit. And I can't remember if it was in between stage two or three, but it was the morning of, and Rob is like, oh, wait until you hit this. It's like, literally, you know, sweet, just like butter, all buffed out trails. You're going to love it. And I remember like five miles in, my guide kept on saying, where the heck's this buffed out sweet spot, right? Because it's all relative to term, you know, and what you're used to, not even vision, right? Just what you're used to running. Like an East Coaster probably would get out and think, oh my God, this trail is so buffed out. And someone from the West Coast would be like, oh no, this is rocky, right? Never mind your vision of what you see. So um, yeah, I teased Rob afterwards. I'm like, dude, I'm still looking for that buffed out trail that you were talking about. I think they rerouted us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So those are some of the races. How about yourself? Um, let's see. I, well, you know, I'll be honest. Uh, I keep bringing up uh, UTMB because it had that much impact on me. Um, it is very hard, really, really hard to, to think of something that compares um, you know, after doing that and seeing what I saw and experiencing what I did, you know, I, it just, it took Coca-Dona really to just kick me in the seat of the pants and say, you know, this is, this will excite you, <laughs> you know, I seeing something different, challenging myself to something that, you know, I've never done, uh, just finding that level of uncomfort, like, you know, so, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm number 17 on the hard rock wait list right now. Um, after, after two years, um, you know, of, of, of no runs, um, I, cause I'm on the never run list and they kept yeah. the never run list going. So, uh, I'm now 17 on that. So, um, I'm just, you know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed cause that's another one that, you know, would, I mean, that would be another one that's way outside my comfort zone, but, uh, you know, I'd love to try. Um, and then, you know, I, I've been kind of getting back to the faster stuff too. Um, I ran a, a road half marathon uh, this past spring, uh, before everything went down. And, uh, you know, I just, I was like looking around at everybody's Nike vapor flies and I'm like, I'm about to get my ass kicked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And, uh, when I found myself in the lead, I was like, uh, what's going on? <laughs> so, you know, I found that I could still, I could still road race. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of challenging myself on, on both ends of the spectrum, you know, seeing what I can do wise and how far I can push myself and do both yeah. at the same time. So, yeah. uh, yeah, it's kind of fun in that regard. Um, uh, keep it, keep it. You know, I feel like if you just do the same type of race over and over again, you're gonna inevitably get that burnout. And yeah. whether it's foot turnover or scenery, or just different struggles and challenges, whether it's you know trying to bang out a high tempo half marathon or a fast five k, or even you know versus a you know slug it out hundred miler. Right, right. Uh, and the other thing is, uh, I've been coaching some OCR athletes, and. Oh, nice. uh, I'd like to try an OCR race, um, yeah, yeah. whatever it may be. Um, but you know, they're, they keep kind of, you know, pushing that button on me and, uh, it, you know, it intrigues me. It's something different. Um, yeah. I definitely have to work on upper body strength, <laughs> yeah. um, but that would be the other challenge I'd like to, to take on. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, no, it was, uh, it's funny that whole cross training hit crew, the track I run out, there's never been any more, more than like two or three people on that track. And with all the gym clothes and it just became a zoo, both the people on the track, but in the middle of the track, which is a you know football field, was just all cross training folks. Like they had their bands, they had their, the, the umbrella, not the umbrellas, but the parachutes. And they oh, yeah. even brought out, you know, all the dummies that you kicked and you tackled and you jumped over and they had tires. And my only takeaway was like, part of me was like, uh, who's that woman's uh, tennis player back, uh, Monica Sellis? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Who used to like yeah. um, <laughs> make all the noise. Yeah. So I'm like, man, like these cross trainers, like they make a lot of noise. Like they're grunting and yelling. But it was cool to watch, right? It was something different. And, you know, also it messes with a totally different set of, you know, muscles and all that. Do you talk to yourself out loud at all when you're running? I I mean, I'll, I'll mutter, uh, keep it going, Robidoux, here and then, you know. And I also will, because I'm always with guides, sometimes I will um, ask them to go up the course a few bit, like 100 yards, and I'll give myself a little pep talk if needed. Um, just because it's weird to kind of give yourself a pep talk with someone else right in front of you. <laughs> it's, I, I find myself uttering, you know, things every once in a while. It's, it's, it's just funny when you think about it. Um, but um, let's see. So your daughter, how old is your daughter? She is 12 years old. Well, right on. And, and did she go out to Western? She did. She was there, I think they flew in a day or two before the race with, with my wife as well. They're both crew. My wife was driving a car and my daughter was chief ice bandana and pickle girl. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, are they, does your wife and your daughter, do they both run? My wife runs a ton, especially in the past couple of years. She's good for couple half marathons every year, uh, some shorter, like five or 10 K trail races. And my daughter will run when she'll, we'll get her to sign up for a couple races a year and she'll hate doing it. But then in the moment, like during the actual race, she'll really enjoy it. Nice. And yeah. what is your of crewing and, and ultras? How does, how does she feel about it? Oh, I think she's beside herself. And I mean, she's, incredibly supportive and it was awesome having her out at western states but you know she at the age now where she kind of rolls her eyes and it's like oh we're going to do this today or you know it's a long effort as you know with kids and family you know to fly out cross country and then yep. it's a oh, long yeah. day for sure for sure and my, my son can't wait till the day where he can pace um that's his big thing right now yeah. So like I was saying, my son just, he's can't wait until he can pace. Um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, I'm hoping that they can get out there for the latter parts of the Cocodona. And, uh, they just announced today for us that the kids are going, um, virtual again, um, for school. Um, so, Oh, wow. Yeah. So there, uh, that's our, our plan C and then they hope to graduate to plan B, which is kind of an, an alternate schedule, like perhaps a week on a week off, two weeks off, you know, wherever it is. Um, but I, I can't see them graduating to that if things, you know, continue to <laughs> go the way they're going. Um, yeah, definitely. So anyhow, um, uh, so sorry, I got off track there for a second. Um, 
Do you think your, uh, your daughter would ever guide you or has she ever guided you? She has guided me on some trail hikes that we've done actually this fall or this spring. Not sure she'd guide me running and she helps me when I ski, you know, if my ski guides aren't quite booted up yet, she'll be fine with me following her like to the lift line. But it's a really interesting balance for a parent, like trying to like, I want one opportunity for me, you know, being visually impaired and having a different ability is that my daughter learns and she's very aware and she knows that about my challenges and that translates to other people. But on the flip side, I also don't want her to feel like the responsibility of guiding me or helping me. So it's a really finite balance that I I sometimes pull it off and other times I don't. But, uh, you know, I'm thankful that she's incredibly compassionate and aware. And I'll take that versus, you know, not being aware, but always wanted to guide me and be around me. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. So Um, we'll see. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so, um, just going to kind of ask some, some questions here to kind of wrap us up. Um, so tell me about an athlete you think does a lot for our sport, um, aside from yourself, obviously. (laughs) Um, and what do they do that, that typically stands out? I think, you know, Mirna Valero is, is a great representation of the trail running community, right? We're not always going to be, you know, she keeps a positive attitude. She advocates. She truly loves being out in the woods and trail running. I've also feel like she's done a great job of balancing kind of the, the public responsibilities of being an ultra trail runner with pushing the envelope in a very respectful, but also uh, intentional way of creating more opportunities for an awareness for more diversity and inclusion in our sport. Cool. That's a great answer. Um, Let's see. Uh, How about a race director that, that shows a, you know, a true passion for our sport um, and tries to make a difference through the, uh, the event that they put on. That's a hard one because I've had the opportunity to meet so many wonderful race directors, whether it's Amy, who's now a very close friend, or Craig, who's done great work through Western States, or Jason Green out at Yeti. So many trail runners or race directors, when I email them and say, here's what I want to do, are you okay with it? It's amazing. The response from the trail running community, race directors are always, yes, 100%, what else can we do to support you? which doesn't happen all the time, but it happens all the time within the trail running community. So, you know, it's hard to pick just one, but I feel like yourself included. I mean, I think part of being a race director is, you know, directing a race, but it's also inherently being an ambassador for the community. So there's these amazing ambassadors all throughout the country who are rising, you know, raising the bar in awareness for this really niche weird sport. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, we, you were just kind of talking about 
races can be more inclusive for athletes with, um, with various disabilities. Um, what, what are some of those ways? Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be just for, for sighted athletes. Um, you know, there's, there's other athletes that have, you know, various limb disabilities too. Um, mm-hmm. what, what are things that, um, um, that races can do to be more inclusive or just mm-hmm. include those type of athletes? Mm-hmm. So I'll say this is a huge topic right now, more on kind of the race and ethnicity lens, but I think it's all related. It takes an incredible amount of intentionality to be diverse and inclusive. And you can have the values and you can have the thoughtfulness around, I want my race to be diverse and inclusive. And that can mean a very many different things, but you need to be really intentional and you need to put some work behind it. And I don't say need in a preachy way, but you know, if you want folks like myself or more people of color or, you know, it, it takes some work to do, it takes some thoughtful planning and it takes some cultivating and relationship building, which I actually think race directors are masterful at. So it's just doing something that's a little bit different than what you're always accustomed to doing although I also recognize that it takes more work and race directors are always juggling a gazillion tasks. I also think it is not something that's going to happen overnight, but there's just a lot of really small steps, whether it's getting young people from your local high school cross country club, particularly in cities out for a trail race and inviting them is the, is the first piece, right? And then creating some opportunities for them, whether that's volunteering or being part of the race committee and exposing them to the sport, I think is a huge piece. And then there's just a lot around technology, myself included, you know, making sure that we can access the websites, access the sign up and registration pages. Umstead 100 was incredibly supportive the way that their system is, you know, you have to click on a button to then get to the sign up page and i told them i emailed rhonda and said hey if i get onto the sign up page i'm really nervous and i'm not going to have like that 15 minute window to complete all my information because of my vision and i ended up recruiting this great guy from north carolina to actually do it for me we're on the phone together but even rhonda said and the registration page owner he said we can tell who gets onto that page So if you get onto like that sign up page and you're not able to complete it, we'll be able to tell and we'll just get you into the race, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's being a little bit thoughtful around, you know, those structures that we have set up in place. Um, And then a lot of stuff that was talked at the U.S. Trail Running Conference, right? Pictures and images on your website are really important just to show that it's not the same old usual suspects that are at these races. Right. Touch on the races themselves. Some races, um, you know, the race director may say, well, this course isn't, you know, um, safe for, you know, a a visually impaired athlete or, you know, a physically disabled athlete. Um, Should that be something that the race director chooses or should that be left up to the racer's discretion? How do you feel about that? I think it should be left up to my discretion or anyone who wants to run a race. We're all adults. We make good decisions. We make the same decisions that other folks who are signing up for that race. And we're accepting the liability and the responsibility of quote unquote, that danger. So 
I think as long as we're signing the same liability waivers, race directors should let us make the choices on what we feel would make us safe and then allow those accommodations to help us fulfill that goal, whether it's sighted guides or using, actually there's a part in the Western States course where I, when I did the training run, my guide said, oh my God, he's like, there's very little room of error here, right? If you go off the course to your right, you're going down a couple thousand feet. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the reasons I reached out to Craig and said, hey, can I use this rigid tether? Because I knew I was going to come through there at night. And I said, I really want to stay tight to my guide. And I almost asked for a guide behind me as well, just to make sure that I was following them, um, which I did actually, the Vermont 50, they have mountain bikers on course. So there's, particularly in the later stages of the race, runners are flip-flopping with mountain bikers or in the back of the pack. So the race director was great. He allowed me to have a guide behind me and in front of me. So that guide behind me was that added buffer. So if a mountain biker came ripping down the trail, they would see my guide first and then be able to go, like, ooh, I should slow down. So I think allowing those accommodations to be built in. Uh, and there's one race that in Massachusetts, I reach out to the race director and she said, no, this course is too technical. Here's other courses you should run. I don't think she realized that that then made me actually want to run that race a lot more. Uh, it's funny that that race, the Stonecat 50 is no longer happening, but um, you know that was that left a really uh, not a pleasurable taste in my mouth when a race director is essentially making a decision for me. Yeah, I want to be with me and then support me to make the accommodations that are necessary. Did I ever tell you the the story of of uh, when I was pacing at Umstead? Did I ever tell you that story? No. So the second place uh, male came in. Um, for his last lap, this was in, uh, 2002, I think it was. Um, so, you know, then it was, um, I think it was a 10 mile loop at the time he came in and he had lost vision in his, uh, left eye. Um, he had ruptured the optical nerve and and lost Uh the vision. So he could not, he could not see on the, uh, that left eye which obviously it disturbed his depth profession, uh, perception. It was still light out. So we didn't have to worry about lights, but you know, he was wanting to, you know, stay, stay up and he didn't have a pacer or anybody to help him. So they pulled me out and, um, you know, I ran, I ran the loop with him and I stayed on his left side so that, you know, he would bump into me and know where the edge of the trail was. Uh, and just like you were talking about earlier, when we got to the single track and stuff, I was like bump, you know, diving and weaving through the trees, trying to make sure that he stayed on course. And, you know, I was trying to call out where, you know, he had to, you know, stay right or whatever. And it was, it was exhausting. Uh, he still finished second and ran amazing. Um, you know, I, wow. I, I want to say he was in the 14 hour range. Um, I, I don't remember exactly, but that was incredible. I mean, you know, like, uh, you know, it, it was the first time. Well, that's not true. I, I told you about, I guided uh, a, a gentleman on the track for a mile, um, where we were tethered together. So I had, you know, had that experience, but, you know, to do 10 miles on, you know, on Umstead where, you know, the old Umstead, it was a little bit different than it is now. It's not as like, now it's a little bit more buffed out than it was then. So, okay. um, 
it was a little bit more rockier and rootier. So uh, like, you know, when you talk about, um, you know, calling out things and making sure it was, it was, it was, you know, it was more exhausting. I had done with that loop and I was, you know, I was mentally, I was, I was more drained than anything, um, you know, and then uh, coming out with the next person, you know, it was, it was almost a relief because <laughs> I didn't have to do all the, the extra work that I was doing with, uh, I think his name was Angel, if I okay. remember. Um, yeah, but, nice. It was, it was, a you know, it was an amazing experience. Um, you know, I, I hope you do get to run Umstead. It's a really cool, really cool place to run. Um, uh, you know, that's, uh, when I went to NC state, that's where we ran all the time. So, um, and if you do, oh, cool. you, you can count on me as a guide. So, uh, just let me know. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, no, I'm back in it for 2021, hopefully. So awesome. Awesome. So let me know. Uh, I will meet you in Raleigh. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Good stuff. Um, so, um, for runners in general, everybody. Okay. We're talking to everybody here now. Um, there are people that are intimidated by, um, the distance or as we were talking about the difficulty of a course, um, what, what's some, um, advice that you could, you could give them or things that you would say to those runners. Um, so maybe put them a little bit more at ease. And are you talking during like an actual race or training for a race in that distance? No, really, you know, like they're, they're, let's say they're, they're wanting to, to try an ultra, let's say they're wanting to try a 50 K and they've never done a 50 K. Right. And they're just, they're intimidated by the distance or, you know, they're, they've done, they've done a 50 K, but now they're, they're like looking at this, this mountain race. Right. Um, and they're just like, you know, it looks beautiful, but I'm just kind of, I don't think, I don't think I can do that. You know? Yep. I think patience is huge. I think knowing that part of running is, the goal could be either is often I want to run faster or I want to run longer. But I think being patient with that training process and the way in which you scale up is good. I think to be smart and thoughtful around the progression that you make, whether it's a 50K to a 50 miler or a 50 miler to a 100 miler, you know, slide in 100K in between that. I also think just doing some simulated training runs of a similar distance, maybe not if you're going to run a 50 miler maybe not a 50 mile training run, but something that's going to be of a greater distance than your previous longest distance, partly because it's important to play with fuel and food and your gear. You know, I remember when I ran my first ultra, I I read it somewhere. I don't know where I read it, but um, they said to prepare for a rainy course day. When you do one of your longer runs, soak, fill your shoes up with water in your hose and then go out for your run. And I remember I did that and the buddy I was running with was like, what are you doing? He's like, you're, you're crazy. And I'm like, wow, I'm just really nervous that if it rains, I want to at least know that I've done it, you know, and I'm, I, I may not be comfortable in a feeling perspective, but I'm comfortable knowing that I've done something like this before. Yeah. You're not going to blister, you know, you know, exactly yep. react to that condition. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, so I think just, you know, and then I'll see the training piece is just stacking those long runs and, I tell everyone, if you've done a marathon, you can easily do a 50K or a 50 miler, partly because you're just going to scale back that intensity. So I think it's it's doable as long as folks are smart and thoughtful around it and patient. And what gives you courage um, to uh, to toe the starting line? What, what do you fall back on? I think a lot about my training is a huge accountability piece of it, especially during the race if times get low and I start to think about 
dropping or this isn't fun anymore. I just remind myself of all the work that I did that I put into it. Uh, in terms of motivation, I'm certainly motivated by, you know, my family, particularly my daughter. You know, I want her to see someone who's working really hard and putting in the work. And even though my wife and family in a really small house hate it when I get up at 5.30 or 6 o'clock on a Saturday morning and wake everyone up, I want her to understand that you got to put in the work if you want those results. And you you need to be, again, disciplined and it's also important to have fun. And at times I've actually created a monster though. You know, there's a couple of times in the track where, you know, I'm supposed to do a 50 mile run one day and I called it at a 50 K and she's like, get back out there, finish it. You're quitting. I'm like, no, I just spent six hours running circles on a track. Like I'm good. <laughs> um, but you know, and then it's just for me, the big piece, which I think we're all missing right now is just that community. Like I, I crave, being out at races and some of my guides have commented like I crave when I pass someone those few times that I actually pass someone or people pass me I'll run with anyone and just start chatting with them because I'd like to learn where you're from and what's your background I mean both for keeping your mind off of the actual race and how much you're hurting but it's just nice being out and, and building that community so that really motivates me you know the train to then be able to participate in races and also volunteer is a big huge component of it as well and last question what's one word that can define kyle robido resilient resilient nice word nice word that's beautiful man Thank you. <laughs> How about Thank yourself? You. What's one word that would describe Aaron Sahaf? Loving. Nice. <laughs> you had that one prepared, I can tell. <laughs> that yeah, it's you know, that's that's one of the, the words I would use always to define myself as loving. Um no, I, I thank you, Kyle, for for being the light in you know in these times and and, and sharing with others and, and you know letting know that other people can do amazing things uh, that they think they can't. So I really appreciate you you coming on and, and talking with us. And uh, I, I sincerely hope that I get to uh, to run with you in, in Umstead next year. So keep me posted on that, my friend. Yeah, I definitely will. Thank you for inviting me on. And thanks for all the indirect and direct ways that you've helped build this trail running community, ultra community, as well as been supportive of you know runners of all abilities, which is uh, really, really cool. So thanks, dude. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Thanks once again to Kyle Robido. Uh, really appreciate his time, his energy, uh, his enthusiasm, his love for this sport, um, sharing it with other athletes, uh, especially those that uh, that have other disabilities, and uh, and and working to help them to achieve their goals. Uh, it's fantastic. So thank you, Kyle. Um, I, you know, as always, guys, I, I appreciate your time. I look forward to uh, you know dropping the new podcast next week. And uh, until then, my friends, keep running.